You're listening to the Falcon Islands Broadcasting Station, and now here is His Excellency the Governor. Good evening. There is mounting evidence that the Argentine armed forces are preparing to invade the Falkland Islands. This is the Falkland Islands radio station in April 1982. This would play into their hands and simply provide them with the excuse they need to invade us. Although last year was the anniversary of the war, there's actually been more about it this year. The election of a new pope from Argentina who had sermonised about the war. Buonasera. And the death of Margaret Thatcher, who was Prime Minister during it. This unprovoked aggression by the government of Argentina against British territory. There's also been talk about an oil boom in the area, and there was a referendum a few weeks ago in which the majority of islanders voted to stay British. This is our home. When people talk about the Falklands, this is our home. It's not their home, it's our home. Irish journalist Paul Byrne is based in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and has, over the years, reported on the Falklands. He came across two men who were on opposite sides of the 1982 war, and both, curiously, have Irish connections. Ronnie Quinn, who's Argentinian, is of Irish extraction, and Andy Brownlee, on the islands, is from Belfast. Paul interviewed Ronnie at the Hurling Club in Buenos Aires, where he's a member. He interviewed Andy on the Falklands, where he runs a hardware shop. Andy had just come to the Falklands to live. I was 19. Yeah, I was born in 62. I was the same age as a lot of the Argentine conscripts. And Ronnie was one of those conscripts. I was a kid too, no? I was 17. I would urge you all to remain calm and to keep off the streets. We had communiques coming over and broadcast from the governor of Rex Hunt, telling people to stay inside, informing us that there was a, an Argentine fleet offshore, you know, it, it confirmed our worst fears then that, yeah, it, it was imminent, it was going to happen. And there was just, you felt totally helpless. Nothing you could do about it. 400 miles away in Argentina, the head of the military dictatorship was General Galtieri. He was determined to fight the British for the Malvinas. Or at least he was determined to send conscripts like Ronnie out to do the fighting. The crowds may have been cheering, but Ronnie didn't feel so buoyant. He uses a rugby analogy to describe how he felt before the war. He refers to the best rugby team in the world, the New Zealand All Blacks. All Blacks are coming, we have to face them. I'm going to be very proud to play against the All Blacks, but I know that we're going to lose. We knew that if these British decided to come, they weren't going to kick our butts. I mean, we were facing probably one of the largest armies in the world. But that large army was 8,000 miles away in Britain, while the Argentinians were sailing and flying towards the islands. The islands had a small local defence force and 69 Royal Marines. You were just sat there waiting for this massive force you were expecting to come in. Uh, and we had such a, a tiny force to try and stop them. And we knew that realistically there's no way you were going to stop them. The Argentinian army may have been a massive force, but up close... Ronnie didn't think it was too professional in the way it moved its troops. They took us to an airline. They took all the seats and they sat us there with our rifles. 200 guys with rifles inside a plane, no belts. Stay indoors 
And please do not add to the troubles of the security services. Do not take the law into your own hands. Nobody went to bed that night. Uh, and the lady that I was staying with, she had a young family, a lot of her, her uh, grandchildren uh, that she was looking after for her daughter. And I was kind of at 19, the man of the house, trying to prepare for war. And I didn't have a clue what to do. But then just sort of took a deep breath and thought, got to build a bomb shelter. So I built a bomb shelter quickly that night and got the children into it. Uh, I can see two. Two Argentine flags flying there. Yeah, well, they're still fighting it out, I think. There's a lot of smoke blowing around down there. OK, Malcolm. Right. Thank you very much. OK. A few days after the advanced troops from Argentina landed, Ronnie got his first sight of the Falkland Islands. Well, we were arriving to a town that didn't resemble anything that we know. Very British. Two years before, I had been in Ireland. Uh, it resembles me that more than Buenos Aires. What which was more confusing for us is that the people that we were supposed to liberate didn't want us there. Yeah, but I'm not walking out. I'm not surrendering to the bloody arches, um, uh, Patrick. Certainly not. Fantastic. Well done, sir. Thank you. You know, plan for the worst, and then if that doesn't happen, then great. And that's what we did, and tried to keep these children in this bomb shelter. <laughs> and as daybreak broke, obviously we could hear the bangs and pops of explosions down at Moody Brook. Hear that very, very clearly when the Argentine Special Forces attacked the base. Of course, the Royal Marines are not stupid. <laughs> they left that the night before and deployed. Ronnie wasn't in a frontline unit. Their job was communications. Our task was to throw all the telephone lines. We have to used the old telephone lines to communicate because the British already were jamming our communications wireless, no? That was my job. And after that was to control that those telephone lines weren't cut by the islanders. One day we were repairing these uh, phone cables and we saw that a fence was all broken. So we tried to fix it and a lady came from inside the house and started screaming at us, get out of here, this is private property. And I look at her and say, listen, we're trying just to, to mend the fence. And she went back inside the house and bring me a hammer. So with that hammer, we fixed the fence the best we can. And then she came back, took the hammer back and said, thank you. That's it. Now that, that was the whole relationship. But I can see that in her face also, she was scrambling, say uh, she wanted to treat us bad, but she couldn't. She knew that we were also in the middle of the equation. And of course the, the radio station and did a fantastic job playing music, some of it quite sombre, and it, it seemed to fit the mood of that time until the reality struck in. Now, the, the situation, as you might hear, is that the radio station has now been um, taken over. Just a minute. If you, if you take the gun out of my back, I'm going to transmit it to you. If you take the gun away. But I'm not speaking with the gun in my back. I was observing the Argentines coming in from the east from the top window of the place I was staying and that's when it, I think it hit that, oh my God, you know, they've actually done it. Uh, they're here. The worst moment was uh, when we were sitting in, the, uh, in a foxhole and all of a sudden we saw what we thought was a plane shooting so we enter in the uh, foxhole and I embrace my soldier friend at that time. And it's like they tell you in the movies that your life goes through your eyes in, in a minute. 
I embrace that moment always because I regretted at that time that I didn't have the opportunity to have a family. I didn't study and didn't have a kid. That those were the things that I was regretting at that moment. And that lasted 40 seconds. But it was so intense. I stayed in Stanley for a short period. I was in a in a, in a strange state of mind of of total bewilderment that, that you know I thought you know this is 1982 you know this sort of thing shouldn't be happening uh, but it has happened and and how best to deal with it and and being you know 19 and typical Irish blood in me I kind of didn't take very well to it so when they told you to stay in the house I would do the opposite I had a, a few tangles with the equivalent of the military police who would sort of wrestle me to the ground and tell me to behave and go back to my house and watching me and I thought no I don't think so this is my country and I didn't take very lightly to my liberty being taken from me at all Another time I was mounting guard and I start hearing bullets and I I I uh, I went to the ground and these bullets came from we don't know where and uh, I called my corporal and we started looking and we didn't see anything and he said no it's the wind you feel it all the time it's always very windy there no no they're, they're shooting us and boom 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 no no it's wind the wind let's go well I'm going to go out of here <laughs> I'm not going to stay here I'm going to go over there and we went 100 meters over there and he came with me and we stay there in, in in the ground and he asked me have you seen the movie the shining what are you talking about you're going to tell me a movie a scary movie yeah have you seen it no no i haven't seen it well let me tell you he's, he's a movie fan so he told me the whole movie a scary movie and all of a sudden don started and he was sending the story and he looked at me and said after all you were right about what they were shooting you look and we saw the antenna and the antenna was full of holes of uh, of shots my sister and brother-in-law they they lived out on camp so uh, she managed to get word to me that uh, my my brother-in-law was was going to get down uh, to towards Fitzroy and if you can get yourself out there then you know it'd be good to leave town. Uh I was a bit reluctant to do so but I thought but well, I'm certainly not going to leave the islands you know uh, that's for sure I'm, I'll be here through to the end. So I managed to actually persuade the local priest a Yorkshireman Harry Bagnall bless him he's since passed away to get me past the checkpoint on Sapper Hill. and he did that in his vehicle and he dressed up with his his robe and his finery and obviously the being a, a very staunch uh, catholic nation they respected that and we did get stopped at uh, goose green by the argentine forces there they didn't want us to go any further but i managed to uh, using my irish charm persuade the captain who spoke very good english that uh, we had a lady with me that this was my mother and i was returning her back home she'd been in hospital Uh, and we needed to get back home so he led us through 
uh, and I managed to run <laughs> the rest of the way and meet up with a, a vehicle convoy that then got me out and uh, we managed to get to Walker Creek where I spent then the rest of the conflict in relative safety. The British forces eventually arrived at the Falklands and overwhelmed the Argentinians, many of who were cold and starving. Ronnie was to have his 15 minutes of fame, as he calls it, where he came face to face with the British commander, General Moore. One morning they wake me up and they told me, hey, live, because we have lost. That's, that's how I learned that, how we have lost, too. It's not that, it's something that happened very quick, only overnight. And when I came out, I saw that the whole sky was full of helicopters. I've never seen so many helicopters in my life. That's when I realized the potential of the, that army, no? And when I came to the town hall, they told me, hey, come here to the back because our major, who was in charge of us, is speaking with a British and we need a translator. And this was this small officer he saluted me, and he was very dirty and with a big pack. And he told me, well, what's the name of your uh, company? And I told him. He looked in a, in a book and said, so this is Major Tomatis. He knew. Yes. Well, tell Major Tomatis that he has um, 10 minutes to uh, leave the premises that he had to head to the airport. And repeat the order, like military style I have to repeat it and then uh, I translated to Spanish and the major tried to tell something to this officer trying to win some time or something tell him that we have to uh, and he ignored him look at me and said did he understood yes sir he understood thank you very much he saluted me he didn't salute major Tomatis which is a, a major insult among militaries and afterwards, I knew that this little officer that was it was General Moore. Even if the British hadn't come and liberated us, uh, and thank God that they did, I wouldn't want it to have deserted the islands because that, that would have been the wrong thing to do. I think it gave me uh, even more resolve to want to stay and see it through to the bitter end. Thankfully... At the end, there was a happy ending and we were liberated after 74 days. Happy endings for some. The survivors, yes. For the dead and injured, obviously no. Three islanders died, over 250 British soldiers and almost 650 Argentinian soldiers died. Happy endings for Margaret Thatcher, who was given a boost by the Falklands victory and re-elected decisively in the next election. For General Galtieri, no such happy ending. Three days after the surrender, the military regime collapsed and democracy returned to Argentina. Ronnie returned to Argentina and started a career in airline management. He regularly meets up with other veterans. But some of them still don't talk about what happened. And we keep an eye on each other, see nobody's too depressed. Andy stayed on the islands where he's part of the local defence force, who were prominent at the anniversary celebrations last year. Ronnie Quinn wrote a book in Spanish about his experiences during the 1982 Falkland Islands War. 
Because he could speak English, he had quite a bit of contact with the islanders and the British soldiers. One story he tells is about chatting with a Scottish soldier while Ronnie was a prisoner of war. The soldier was curious. Why had the Argentinians picked a place like the Falkland Islands to invade? Ronnie got a stick and started drawing in the dirt. And I draw it across the floor. I said, listen, this is Argentina and the islands are here. They were taken by force many, many years ago and, and our army decided to attack. If you go over there and look to the west, you're going to see Argentinian coast invented. It's Jesus. And he calls his friends and start talking. We, we, we thought we were close to Scotland. We, we, we didn't have a clue where we are. 